And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to the 50th, yeah, 50 of these. It's insane that I've done them, but here we are. The 50th edition of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. It is Valentine's Day. I hope you are celebrating with your significant other, and if not, thank you for joining me for this podcast. Took last week off. I was terribly sick. Was not really feeling that great. Show would have been awful. I was coughing a lot. I had a lot of phlegm in my throat. My nose stuffed up. I apologize. We're going to talk Super Bowl a little bit. Going to give you some predictions for this offseason and next year. Some way too early predictions. Going to talk NBA a little bit with the All-Star break. Not going to dive too much into that though. There are some big college basketball games going up this weekend. But... What I also am going to do is going to uh, review another movie that's going to come later on in the episode, a sports documentary. Um, This one, it's Dion's Double Play that was on ESPN, their 30 for 30 series uh, a couple weeks ago. It was pretty good. Then there is the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view for WWE. That is going to be the last thing we talk about. As always, going to give you run down the card on that and give you my predictions for that. But... What I want to get started right away is something that sitting at Tin Roof last night working, I concocted it in my head, um, TV show couples. Um, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, I went and I made a bracket, randomly generated all the seeds, gave 24 different seeds and everything like that, a couple teams, eight teams got to buy. And I went and I just made a bracket and I am going to walk through and crown the best television show couple in history for you all. That is the first thing we're going to do and get out of the way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this very special and loving 50th edition of Carson's Sack Podcast. So let's jump right into this bracket. The teams that got to buy, and this was all randomly generated, and I don't have a problem with really much or any of them that did get a buy, but the number one overall seed was Mike and uh, Holly from The Office, Michael Scott, Holly Flack. Then the eight seed that got a buy was Ross and Rachel from Friends. Four seed that got a buy was Zach Morris and Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. Then you had Andy Dwyer and April Ludgate from Parks and Rec at the five seed. The two seed, which I'll be honest with you, most of these TV shows I've seen and know enough about to talk about. This is the one couple that I'm sort of like a little questionable on. But uh, Meredith and Derek, Dr. Dreamy or whatever people called them, from... Grey's Anatomy, the seven seed, Monica and Chandler from Friends, the three seed, Carrie and Big from Sex in the City, and then the six seed, the last team to get a bye, was Sean Hunter and Angela, his girlfriend in the show. So we move on, those teams all got a bye, so I'm going to just push those to the side for a second and talk about some first round matchups. 
the 16 seed versus the 17 seed that will be taking on Michael and Holly. You have got Nick and Jess from New Girl, and then you have Cam and Mitch from Modern Family. And admittedly, I threw Cam and Mitch in here to be pro- progressive, a gay couple in the tournament. Wow, I, they, they could go far. They're a great couple. They have a beautiful daughter and Lily that they adopted. But once the random generator lined them up with Nick and Jess from New Girl, it was over for them. Uh, New Girl is one of my just most slept on, underrated, one of my favorite shows, I think. And the way Nick and Jess are portrayed in that, I have to move on Nick and Jess. Um, moving on to the second first round matchup, you have Jenny and Kevin from the league versus Urkel and Laura Winslow from Family Matters. Um, I know probably not a lot of people, or if you are listening, you may have seen the league, but Kevin is just sort of this really common Chicago guy in a fantasy football league with his friends. He's a lawyer, all that. Like he lives a very good, comfortable life. And Jenny is a smoking hot good-looking lady that happens to be into fantasy football and just be one of the guys. Like, that's a dream, I feel like, for a lot of guys. Um, Urkel and Laura Winslow from Family Matters. Obviously, we all know Urkel, but this matchup was decided right away for me. Uh, Laura Winslow was a bitch to Urkel. She... He literally chased after her for so long, and she just ignored his attempts and everything and still went out with shitty guys. And literally, he had to become this Rico Suave type guy um, with Stefan for her to even give him a chance. And ultimately, yes, they do end up together and everything, but ridiculous to me that she was such an asshole to Urkel. So because of that, I move Jenny and Kevin from the league on to the second round. Moving on down the bracket, um, the 13 seed versus the 20 seed. This was a touch ma- tough matchup. You have Jim and Pam from the office versus AC Slater and Jesse uh, Kostopoulos. Uh, pardon me if I do ruin her name, but uh, they are from Saved by the Bell. I think this one... Given another matchup, AC Slater and Jesse move on, no problem, but you run up against a powerhouse in a random generated couples TV show bracket like Jim and Pam from The Office. That was pretty simple as well. Jim and Pam move on. This is the hardest matchup, this next matchup of the first round by far. You have Leslie Nope and Ben Wyatt against Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky from Full House. Spoiler alert, I moved Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky to the next round. Leslie and Ben, do not get me wrong, both extremely successful in their professions, what they did in Pawnee together, um, Ben Wyatt rebounding from Icetown and all that stuff, just amazing how they came together in that show and everything starting out as adversaries when Ben comes to town to work on budgets and everything and they fall, it's a beautiful story, but Aunt Becky and Uncle Jesse, I just think they personify 90s, late 90s, early 90s, like just love and so I just had to move those guys on. Um, and also both just extremely great looking people. Like probably he, um, John Samuel is probably one of the most handsome men of all time. And I don't know, um, 
on Becky's real name, but she is a beautiful, beautiful woman. So Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky move on. Then we go to the 15 versus 18 matchup. You have Duggan Carey from King of Queens against Dwight and Angela from The Office. The reason I put Doug and Carey in the King of Queens is because uh, size-wise I relate to Doug. He's a bigger guy in the show. He's played by Kevin James, and he has Leah Remy as Carey as his hot-ass wife. Um, that's pretty much the only reason I put them in this. Uh, Dwight and Angela get that in an easy win. In another matchup that became extremely, <clears throat> excuse me, easy once the seating was done, you have Dan and Serena from New Girl versus Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv. Um, love Uncle Phil, love Aunt Viv, but you run into a powerhouse like Dan and Serena from New Girl, who at the end of the show, like, yeah, they are together, but like. <laughs> I'll talk more about that later in the rounds, but Dan and Serena move on. Next matchup, you have Schmidt and Cece from New Girl versus Marshall and Lily from How I Met Your Mother. The second hardest um, matchup I had to do in this whole thing was this one right here. I moved on Schmidt and Cece just because everything goes for what I said about Nick and Jess about New Girl being my favorite show, but I felt I related more to CeCe and his path of pursuing someone like he did with CeCe and everything and was emotionally moved when, spoiler, he does propose to her at the end of season four, I believe, like, wept. So I have to move Schmidt and CeCe on over Marshall and Lily. And then I might catch some flack for this, but... The 11th seed versus the 22nd seed, you had Corey Matthews and Topanga from Boy Meets World versus Chuck and Blair from New Girl. This was, I thought it was going to be harder than it was, but Corey and Topanga, like, those two names are so synonymous with each other, and I know Chuck and Blair are, like, anonymous, synonymous with each other too, but, like, Growing up watching Boy Meets World and, like, everything, and obviously, yes, watching New Girl later on in life, but when I think, like, TV show couple, Corey and Topanga are it, so I had to move those two on. So, this sets up second-round matchups of Michael and Holly from The Office, Nick and Jess from New Girl, Ross and Rachel from Friends, Jenny and Kevin from The League, um... Zach and Kelly from, what's it, Saved by the Bell, Jim and Pam from The Office, Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky from Full House against Andy and April. Then you have Meredith and Derek against Dwight and Angela, Monica and Chandler against Dan and Serena, Carrie and Big against Schmidt and Cece, and Sean and Angelo versus Corey and Topanga. We already have a inter-show showdown between Sean and Angela and Corey and Topanga. Okay, let's go to the top of the bracket, and we are going to talk about Michael and Holly against Nick and Jess. And a bit of an upset here, I have Nick and Jess from New Girl against Michael and Holly. Do not get me anything wrong. Michael and Holly were a beautiful couple. And when he... Spoiler alert. I should have said this at the very beginning. Because there's going to be some spoilers if you haven't seen these shows. But, oh well. But, 
when he proposes, Michael being he, proposes to Holly and in the office and the splinkers go off. It's such a beautiful scene. It's so perfect. They nailed that on the office. But Nick and Jess together, I again, in no way am I saying the office is better than New Girl or anything like that, but just the dynamic of Nick and Jess and how they played off each other and her being so hectic and overachiever and Nick being sort of like this slacker type guy who like sort of everybody can relate to, um, that really pushed those two over the top for me against Michael and Holly. And if you think about Darren Mifflin was fucking terrible to Michael about um, Holly moving her to friggin' Nashua and everything. That was terrible on Dunder Mifflin's part. The next matchup we have Ross and Rachel from Friends against Jenny and Kevin from the league. This one's pretty simple. Ross and Rachel. I mean, it's Ross and Rachel. That's all you really have to say. The next you have Zach and Kelly against Jim and Pam. This is an extremely tough decision, but I'm going to move Jim and Pam on to the next round. The next one on this side, you have Andy and April from Parks and Rec going up against Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky from Full House. I went Andy and April. Again, that whole dynamic of Andy being this sort of everyday type guy that you can anybody can really relate to and April Ludgate how he comes across her working they're both working in the government building and they just sort of are doing weird shit and dumb stuff and April her dynamic and what she brings and how she like sort of hates everything and Andy shows her how to like love things and bring things like happiness and meaning like that's awesome to see so I move Andy and April on to the next round, beating Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky. Then, the next matchup, you have Meredith and Derek against Dwight and Angela. Um, as I did say originally, Meredith and Derek, I don't know a lot about. I do know, like, circumstance-wise, what happens to Derek, where he dies. Yeah, like I said, spoiler alert. But... A thing that you're going to find, like a theme in here, is like the persistence and everything like that. And Dwight, the persistence she showed going after Angela when she was hooking up with Andy. And I mean, this is still pretty shitty because she was engaged to Andy and Dwight was still hooking up with her and everything. And at one point, like they were going to duel over her and stuff. And then they both were like, fuck it, we don't want it. Then the finale of The Office being Dwight and Angela's wedding. Like that's awesome to see. So I moved Dwight and Angela on. Next, you have Monica and Chandler from Friends against Dan and Serena from New Girl. Monica and Chandler, I think, don't get enough credit for how good of a couple they actually are. The way they play off each other, Chandler being a sarcastic self and Monica being Miss Perfection. Oh, and and Courtney Cox, what a beautiful woman she is. Um, this one was pretty easy once those two got matched up. I moved Monica and Chandler on. Next, you have Schmidt and Cece going up against Carrie and Big from Sex and the City. Um, admittedly, when I would stay home from school in like 7th, 8th, and all of high school, um, on E, there would be nothing else on TV except Mari and Jerry Springer and, like, The Price is Right. Like, shout out Price is Right. It's a great show. But on E, Sex in the City reruns would be on constantly, and it was just, like, a stupid show that nothing else was on that I, like, got wrapped up in <clears throat> for a little bit. So, like, I admit, I watched Sex in the City. Like, get over it. Um, but... 
Carrion Big ran into a buzzsaw here with Schmidt and CC, and I moved Schmidt and CC on. And then the last matchup of round two, you have Sean and Angela going up against Corey and Topanga, both from Boy Meets World. And as much as Sean Hunter and Angela, like, were good for each other, Corey and Topanga needed each other. And at the end of the day, that was pretty easy. We move Corey and Topanga on to the next round. So the matchups are Nick and Jess against Ross and Rachel. Jim and Pam versus Andy and April. Dwight and Angela versus Monica and Chandler. And Schmidt and CC versus Corey and Topanga. Okay, so we move on now to the Elite Eight. And this is where things are getting tough. We have Nick and Jess from New Girl going up against Ross and Rachel. And this is where I think the Cinderella story of Nick and Jess run out and the shoe stops fitting. Um, Ross and Rachel, iconic characters on an iconic show that like almost everyone has seen and whether they are on a break or not them being in their lives and like Ross and Rachel like the last whole last couple episodes about Rachel going to Paris and everything and her ending it with I got off the plane and coming back into Ross's life and everything like that's so touching so moving um there was just never, like, I don't want to say any moments like that for Nick and Jess, but, like, a moment as big, like, TV show-wise as the whole, like, I got off a plane thing for Ross and Rachel. So, Ross and Rachel advance over Nick and Jess. The next matchup in the Elite Eight, you have Jim and Pam going up against Andy and April from Parks and Rec. This one's difficult but I'm going to go with Jim and Pam just because um, the Niagara wedding, I bawled my eyes out the first time I saw that. And the way the office did that and the Chris Brown going down the aisle with the bridesmaids and groomsmaids and the office being there, like that that's one of the best television like episodes, I think, ever. Just the way they nailed that and everything. So Jim and Pam move on over Andy and April. This next one is probably the easiest of the Elite Eight. You have Dwight and Angela going up against Monica and Chandler, and Monica and Chandler are just the better couple inside and out, so Monica and Chandler move on. In an extremely difficult matchup to round out the Elite Eight, you have Schmidt and Cece from New Girl going up against Corey and Topanga, and Corey and Topanga move on. Um, I like what... Okay, here. I like Schmidt more than I like Corey, and I like Topanga more than I like Cece. So together, just as a whole, though, the couple-wise, Corey and Topanga, like, growing up with that show and, like, being so involved emotionally and, like, everything, and those two, like, have to have to move those on. Even when Topanga, like, broke up with Corey and they did their break and how... Both uh, Schmidt and Corey were persistent and everything with Schmidt pursuing her. And then, like I was saying, when Topanga broke up with Corey and how he just still knew they were going to be together. And when Topanga was going to move to Pittsburgh and she ended up not doing it from moving from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh and just everything like insane. So I moved those on. And so your final four is Ross and Rachel against Jim and Pam and Monica and Chandler versus Corey and Topanga. This is where things 
get extremely tricky. Um, Ross and Rachel are iconic. Jim and Pam, iconic. Monica and Chandler, not thought of, I think, as much as they should be within TV couples. And Corey and Topanga, iconic. Like, you can't. And I think this speaks a lot to Friends and the way they did things on the show to have, in my opinion, like two of the last four seeds in this being there. Um, so let's start with Ross and Rachel against Jim and Pam. I think Pam was actually like had more shitty things she did to Jim than shitty things Rachel did to Ross. But I think Ross did shittier things to Rachel than Jim did to Pam. So those all like can't talk. I mean, like you can look at things, Pam, like sort of being upset and mad at Jim, um, when he was trying to start his sports agency in Philadelphia and he had to travel and everything and her sort of kind of like having a thing with the boom mic guy and everything and the way she treated friggin' Roy like that's a whole nother fucking issue that I don't have enough time to talk about um but Ross the whole on a break thing like that's so just out of this world and like how he fought what I'm going to say, like, puts Ross and Rachel over Jim and Pam, so I'm moving Ross and Rachel on, is another great episode is when Rachel and Monica are in high school and they're going to prom and Rachel's date stands her up and Ross takes her and how much he meant, like, that meant to him and everything. Like, it's a beautiful emotional thing emotional scene, everything like that, like, get you right in your fields, um, go out of your way to find that episode if you can, and just, like I said, the whole I got off the plane thing, and them getting married in Las Vegas, and then unmarried, and then, I mean, sort of left questionable at the end, but yeah, I mean, you imagine they end up together, they have a child together, um, I move Ross and Rachel into the championship round, and, Moving on to the second Final Four matchup, we have Monica and Chandler going against Corey and Topanga. Um, Corey and Topanga get this W for me. Monica and Chandler, great couple, but I think in the end, they just run out of steam. Um, They also get twins at the end of the show of Friends. Um, Corey and Topanga, though, get married, and that was an insanely, like, beautiful thing. And not saying Monica and Chandler's wedding wasn't beautiful either, but just... What Corey and Topanga had going on, just I was more emotionally invested in Corey and Topanga. So the championship round is Ross and Rachel from Friends versus Corey and Topanga from Boy Meets World. Your third place game, the bracket gives you an option to do a third place game. Um, I go Monica and Chandler over Jim and Pam just for the simple facts that um, Monica and Chandler, when they were together, never really had like the issues that Jim and Pam have and I know every couple has issues and everything like that but at the end of the day I am a bigger fan of Monica and Chandler than I am Jim and Pam all right this is the championship round you have Ross and Rachel and friends going up against Corey and Topanga from Boy Meets World um Ross and Rachel all they did breaking up getting back together dating other people all these other things that extremely factors into it with chemistry-wise and how they would perform in such a big game like this. Um, yes, Corey and Topanga did break up as well, um, but Corey's loyalty to Topanga during that breakup is what made it for me. Um, 
there's episodes where um, later on when they do break up Corey and Topanga, where Corey comes to this museum and everything and just spills his heart out for her and like says, I will never love anybody more than I love you to Topanga. And then earlier on when they're in high school where he goes, if I had to dream up a perfect woman, she would never come close to you. And then he asks her to go out with her and that's a yes. And then an iconic scene where they first kiss and Topanga pushes them up against the lockers when they're still in middle school, grade school type thing. And Topanga coming back from Pittsburgh, not moving in the rain when they're still in high school and everything. Like, to me, just so many more memorable and iconic things that Corey and Topanga did and them being so closely, like, into, like, my childhood. Um, I have to go with Corey and Topanga. Nothing against Ross and Rachel at all like n- not one bit but Corian Topanga is and until like I guess I don't know when but to me always will be the like TV show couple so that concludes the Valentine's Day Carson Sack TV show couple bracket I hope you enjoyed this I put a good amount of effort into it um at work and when I got home and everything and racking my brain about things and whatnot. So I hope you enjoyed it. I will now stop talking um, about love and beautiful moments and emotions and things like that and just talk about sports. I'll, I'll stick to sports as some people like to say, but I hope you all enjoyed this special little thing I did for Valentine's Day 2019 right here on Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls and love occasionally. All right. And that's taken care of. Let's move on to talking about Super Bowl 53 that took place. Um, Patriots up against the Rams. Patriots win 13-3. Tom Brady, six Super Bowl rings. The Patriots, six Super Bowl rings. Bill Belichick, six Super Bowl rings. Belichick outcoached Sean McVay extremely just outcoached him ridiculously. Some stats from the game. You have Tom Brady for 262 yards, zero touchdowns, interception. Sonny Michelle had himself a quietly good game with 94 yards and the lone touchdown in the game. Julian Edelman, the Super Bowl MVP, 10 receptions for 141 yards. And then Stephon Gilmore coming up big with his interception on the zero blitz in the fourth quarter when the Rams were threatening to score and tie the game. Um, while he was defending Brandon Cooks. Um, after the game, Julian Edelman wins MVP and questions arise. Um, is this good enough for him now to become a um, Hall of Famer? Um, he's got three rings, Super Bowl MVP, and what people are really pushing for um, is as Super Bowl MVP is what's going to get him into the Hall of Fame. But his regular season numbers are nowhere near, I feel like, good enough to make the Hall of Fame. So... Right now, I keep him out. Um, Big story of this game was, I think, Belichick with given the extra week and time to repair um, the defense that he came up with and the game plan he had stifled McVay, um, stifled Jared Goff in that offense and put McVay in a mind pretzel. And McVay was outcoached. I can't say that enough. Um just masterfully done by Belichick. Um, defense wins championships. Um, 
and you come into this and you have this season in the NFL where scoring was an all-time high and everything, and both these defenses played extremely well, and the old adage is still extremely true, defense wins championships. Um, Going forward now, you have the storylines of when does Tom Brady actually hang it up? Is Gronk going to retire? I don't think Gronk retires this year. I think Gronk retires when... Uh, what's his face? When Brady actually retires and they go out on top, um, I tortured myself and went back and watched this game one more time. Um, newsflash: Don't. It's not better on second viewing. Don't even try and watch the highlights on YouTube. It's that fucking bad. Um, Todd Gurley was non-existent, which was mind blowing to me. I don't know if, like, I guess he's like hurt, but that still hasn't come out officially yet that he was hurt or was dealing with an injury or anything like that. Um, to summarize this, um, the game was shitty, the commercials were shitty, the halftime performance was, like, okay at best, um, I think it's best that the NFL and us as fans just sort of, like, forget this Super Bowl happened, and we just, like, relive the season, because it was a great season, I think we just should cut it short at the conference championship games and be like, oh, those were two really great games, like, that's... Like, both high-scoring, both overtimes, like, that's the season. Um, but, unfortunately, we have this Super Bowl to stain our memory of the 2018-2019 season. Um, moving on, there was a article that I believe Sports Illustrated did where they, like, predicted the next, like, five quarter, like five Super Bowl, the quarterbacks and teams, I guess, that would win that. I'm going to do that and then look ahead and give you some bold predictions for um, teams and whatnot going into the 2019-2020 season. All right, so the five quarterbacks or whatever that of the Super Bowls, and this is in no order, but I have Pat Mahomes winning two of them. The way the Chiefs are set up and how young they are, and if they can get a little bit better on defense and whatnot and address the running back situation, um, I see no reason why with how young Pat Mahomes is, him not being able to get at least two out of the next five. Um, Carson Wentz is the next guy on the list. Um, he, Him and that Eagles team, they're young, they're talented. Um, sure things up with the secondary and a little bit more on the offensive line and keep guys healthy throughout the year. Um, what they were able to do a couple years ago with Nick Foles and the whole argument now is like, oh, Foles, is he the guy in the playoffs for them, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, I just think Wentz is the guy in Philadelphia. You need to move on and trade Nick Foles. Just do that. And I think they're going to um, sooner or later. But looking ahead, Wentz is the guy to get one. Um, Russell Wilson is the next guy. So there are four out of the next five taken care of. Russell Wilson, I think, is one of an extremely guys that are underrated in the NFL and what he brings to his team. Um, The way he is able to control the game and affect the game with not only his scrambling and also his arm, he is one of the best throwers on the run. Um, Scrambling-wise, I'm not talking about like just yards that he runs for, just extending plays. He's one of the best. And then Tom Brady is my fifth, like I said. Don't know when it's going to happen. Probably sooner than later so he can get the hell out of the league. But he is going to get one more. So there are your next five 
quarterbacks that are going to win. Well, not there's your next four quarterbacks that are going to win the next five Super Bowls. Excuse me. And now the bold prediction part. Um, first off, there always seems to be a team that goes from last place and either wins the division or at least makes the playoffs. And I think this coming year, that team is the Bengals. Getting rid of Marvin Lewis and bringing in Zach Taylor is an extremely huge culture change that is needed in Cincinnati for a long time now. Um, They get A.J. Green back healthy. They have Andy Dalton, who is a good NFL quarterback. And Joe Mixon is probably going to be one of the best running backs in the league for years to come starting next year. He had a bit of a breakout season this year, but I think that's only going to improve. Might be some growing pains to begin with. Um, learning Zach Taylor's offense and everything like that but again I can't stress enough the culture change that was needed and is done and I think Zach Taylor's a good coach and I do think the Bengals will make the playoffs Um, another I guess bold prediction are the Browns they're gonna make the playoffs Um, you bring in Kareem Hunt I can talk about this now I guess Um, you bring in Kareem Hunt um, who not I cannot excuse what he did to the woman pushing her down, kicking her, everything like that. Not trying to justify that at all. Um, I do think people deserve second chances, and you you had to know he was going to get re-signed at some point. I predicted before next season it did happen before next season, um, and it was only for a million dollars in one year. Uh, Dorsey, John Dorsey, was drafted him when he was whatever he was in Kansas City, brings him to the Browns for like I said, a million dollars on a year deal, um, who he still might not even play. He still has to get off the commissioner's list and everything, which is also not like difficult to do, but it's going to be interesting to see how Freddie Kitchens is able to mix him and Nick Chubb together. And if they keep Duke Johnson and all this other stuff, but the way the Browns have been trending and everything like that, there's no reason to think they won't make the playoffs. I feel like, especially in a down um, AFC North sort of the Steelers, questionable i think teams are going to start to figure out lamar jackson make him more of a passer and he did struggle at times with that so i do think that has the possibility of happening um another i guess bold thing is the seahawks will be in the nfc championship game i just feel like it'll probably be the saints and the seahawks and i just love the way russell wilson plays um refer to about audio from about three or four minutes ago tier wide, but if they can address some needs in the drafted free agency and get him another big play guy, awesome. Um that's all I'm gonna do for bold predictions right now. Some other news in the NFL that just happened yesterday. Um the Ravens ended up trading Joe Flacco to the Broncos. I hate John Elway, despise that man, but Great move that he could do and get Joe Flacco. You know what you're going to get with him. A good leader. He's sort of mobile, like extremely limited in mobility, um, but mobile enough. Um, a great deep ball thrower who you have Cortland Sutton there who's going to probably progress a very good amount from his rookie year this year to his second year in the NFL. That is a good deep ball guy. Emmanuel Sanders who has lost a step or two but still a deep threat. Um, the run game that they had with uh, Philip Lindsay is going to complement well for Joe Flacco as well with deep play action and deep passes and whatnot. Um, and that defense with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb in his second year, who will also probably take a big step forward 
and Bradley Roby in the secondary there as well. Um, makes them extremely more competitive in the AFC West, which I'm not predicting they're going to win that or anything like that because the Chiefs are still there. Um, the Chargers are still there, but makes them extremely more competitive. And Flacco's going to start. Keenum's out. Keenum just did not put them in certain games, in certain situations, put enough points on the board to win and put them in winning positions when the defense was playing good. It For the Broncos this past year, it always seemed like either one or the other was on track, the offense or the defense. They were never really synced up. And I think Case Keenum was a big problem with that. So I think they addressed a big need, did John Elway and the Broncos, um, and bring in Joe Flacco. So, again, hate them. Well, hate John Elway. Fine with the Broncos and everybody else on the team. So hats off to them for bringing in Joe Flacco and ultimately probably going to make them more competitive this coming year. Switching gears now, we are going to talk a little NBA. Um, Big thing that dominated the trade deadline was this trade deadline last Thursday was are the Lakers going to end up trading for Anthony Davis from the Pelicans? Pelicans wanted so much. They wanted four first-round picks. I think they wanted a couple second-round picks as well. Um wanted all of the young core for the Lakers. They wanted Ingram and Kuzma and Lonzo Ball, and they just weren't going to get that. And Lakers were flagged for tampering things. Um, the deal ended up not getting done, and all hell is broken loose with the Lakers. Uh, the young core sort of realizing now that, hey, there's a business and they're um, to spend their ex- expendable parts of a business and I don't think they like that there's a big riff now Luke Walton probably not gonna I think he might make it to the end of the year but if they miss the playoffs I think he's gone and I think the head coach from the Denver Nuggets comes in LeBron has been a fan of his for a while there are reports and remarks of him saying that um at the end of the day now the whole situation with the Lakers is just rocky um no one, they're under 500 at the All Star break, um, and tenth in the West, I believe. Not even in the playoffs. Um, it's going to take a remarkable job by the whole team to make it, and they have the talent to do it. Um, now things with the Anthony Davis stuff becomes a bit more hairy and difficult because he's not even a free agent this summer. He's still under contract with the Pelicans, but now you can bring in other teams over the summer, like the Celtics who express interest in him, who they would have to trade a shitload of stuff to. The Celtics don't even know if Kyrie is going to come back, but I mean, if you can trade for Anthony Davis, you can build around him and stuff, but then Kyrie leaves. Who knows, honestly? Um, the Pelicans already being trying to shut down Anthony Davis and keep him out of playing, but the league threatened to find him a hundred thousand dollars. Um, I believe every game that they sat him out that he was actually healthy and stuff. So that stuff is nowhere near done at all, but nothing's really going to come of it anytime soon. But ESPN, all the other out sports outlets need something to talk about. So they'll talk about that a lot and whatnot. And they'll be pushing the panic button on everything on the Lakers and whatnot. I think the Lakers do end up making the playoffs, but I don't think there's anything you need to like. They can only play a game a day. Nothing is going to be fixed in one day. And we're not going to have answers until the end of the year. But um, I think the Lakers are going to be just fine. Young core they have is extremely good. They or the all star break if they get healthy, and they can work on 
what's it called, on relationships with LeBron and management and everything, because Magic, I think, is sort of, Magic Johnson sort of lost the locker room a little bit with trust and whatnot, but it's a business. That's what happens. You can get traded to make a team better. Or like it, That's what happens. It's a business. Um, the other big news on the trade deadline was Kristaps Porzingis being traded from the Knicks to the Mavs. And when the first when the story first came out, people were saying that he was going to sign the tenure for this year or whatever and get like $8 million next year, but then become a unrestricted free agent. I was like, well, fuck, like, he's not going to resign with the Mavericks. But then reports from his brothers, his agent came out and said, oh, he is going to resign with the Mavericks. Um, it's just money-wise thing and smarter things that need to be handled. So I'm extremely excited. I'm not a Mavericks fan by any means, but extremely excited for to see what Luca and Porzingis are going to be like together. I tweeted out a picture. I think they're going to sort of be like Steve Nash and Dirk were when they first got there. So excited about that um, for the Mavericks and everything. Um, not really much anything else to talk about with NBA. So, like I said, it's all-star break. Next week, I'm going to try and have Ryan Moore, who was on one of my roommates. He was on an episode where we broke down at the a preview at the start of the year. Maybe have him on next week at the All-Star break and see where our predictions were going and see if we have any predictions um, for the second half of the season. Staying in basketball now, we shift focus to college basketball. And Tuesday was an extremely rough day for every basketball fan in the state of Kentucky. Kentucky losing on a tip-in in the last second against LSU, which should have probably been called offensive goaltending but they can't go back and review that that rule will probably be changed um a lot of things leading up to that though that should have been handled so positives before we get into that though pj washington showed that needing a bucket late in the game with like a minute left kentucky was down by five he goes and converts an n1 and then makes um another layup another basket and gets them back in the game so he showed up huge um on the drive though LSU's best player gets the ball around half court and drives it all the way, guarded by Kellen Johnson. I would have had Emmanuel quickly in there where it was a better on-ball defender, especially with guards, than Kellen Johnson is. And length might have altered the shot a little bit or made it a little bit harder for the LSU player to bring the ball up the court. Um, Another thing where both the players for Kentucky, P.J. Washington and E.J. Montgomery, um, went for the block. That can't happen. I would have liked to have seen Reed Travis in to have his basketball IQ where if he was in for EJ, I don't think that the LSU player who tipped it in is, has that opportunity. I think Reed and his, um, knowledge of basketball and stuff would have boxed out and everything. And that's not a slight on EJ Montgomery at all. Anything like that. I just think Reed Travis is a more knowledgeable basketball player at this point. He's been in college and played basketball for four years and EJ Montgomery just hasn't but a lot of things in that game that you can point to otherwise miss free throws. Kellen Johnson, a positive and a negative. Positive-wise, um, hit two free throws at the end of the game that were huge and tied the game. That would have sent the game to overtime with six seconds left. But before that was three of seven the entire game. The other negative, they, Kentucky blew a nine-point lead at home to LSU. I do think, though, this sort of can overall be a positive. I think it might reset this Kentucky team and get the chip back on their shoulder that they had that started this 10-game win streak um, that I don't think they necessarily lost that chip on their shoulder or anything, but it's extremely hard to 
probably win out if they were to keep winning. So resets them for a huge game that they have against Tennessee that I'll talk about later on in this segment. But probably takes Kentucky out of the one seed talk, I guess, unless they beat Tennessee twice to win the SEC tournament. But that's fine. As long as they're not in Duke's bracket, I'm totally fine with them being a two seed. Um, two hours later, you had Louisville, who was up by 23 points to Duke. And then the first 31 minutes, Louisville dominated. And the Yum Center was very uncharacteristically like raucous and crazy and loud. They blacked it out, everything. It was awesome. And then Duke showed why I think they're the best team in the country. The four freshmen for them showed up and all had incredibly big plays at different times in their run run that got them back in the game. Coach K started and shift back to a zone that was extremely effective for them last year that he's implemented and that caused problems for Louisville. He also was pressing and Louisville guards, I guess, acted they were playing like they never played against a press in their life. Um I don't know if that's a Chris Mack thing or what if he just doesn't have a press break installed, but they were trying to dribble through and break the press, and you just can't do that. you got to pass to break a press, and if you do it well and pass right enough, that leads to easy opportunities and buckets because people are out of place and trying to trap and go for seals and everything like that. Uh, but Zion showed up huge in that run to get them back. Cam Reddish showed up extremely huge. It was all around like a great performance the last nine minutes and I like I said I think that shows why Duke is the best team in the country to go on the road and against the 16th team in the country down by 23 and never give up and count yourself out and get a win and now Louisville back-to-back years heartbreaking losses um Virginia last year where they looked like they were gonna win and then this year I don't know which worse loss is worse I guess I would say this year just because I think Duke is a better team this year than what Virginia was a better team last year and how much Louisville was dominating that game to blow it like they did that has to hurt I think immensely and I think this Louisville team is much more talented than the team of Louisville last year as well so I think that this loss has to hurt them more than the Virginia loss does but the Virginia loss last year probably kept them out of the NCAA tournament so this all-around shitty day of basketball for the Bluegrass State moving on to some games this weekend um not really any big ones Thursday and Friday so we go to the Saturday slate you have Maryland 24th in the country who very handedly beat Purdue 12th in the country on Tuesday that same night going to Michigan who that same night lost um at Penn State I think Michigan comes out, and Michigan's been playing in a lot of close games here recently, and you could look at that as like, oh, maybe they're losing their edge, or they're just not as good or as focused. I think that like kind of helps them for in March and stuff, because there's going to be close games, and I think if you can win the close games, obviously, that's great, but moral victories, I guess, and experience-wise, uh, playing in close games helps too. I think Michigan wins that game. North Carolina goes to Wake Forest. I think that's an easy win for North Carolina. Clemson comes to Louisville. Louisville, I think, struggles early but comes out and in the second half pulls away. Notre Dame goes to Virginia. That's a massacre. Virginia wins that, but it'll be a low-scoring massacre. Baylor goes to Texas Tech. I like Baylor in that. I feel like Baylor always has like 
one or two or three like upset wins in the Big 12 every year, and I think this is the time they do it. Penn State goes to Purdue. I think Carson Edwards rebounds and beats Penn State. West Virginia goes to Kansas. Kansas wins that. In a big matchup in the Big 12, you have Iowa State going to Kansas State. Kansas State, if I'm correct, if I heard this correct on the on Twitter the other day, they have now beat every Big 12 team the last time they've played them, which is impressive. And Kansas State is one of the most underrated, hardest places to play in college basketball. The octagon of doom and everything that started there when Frank Martin was there continues to be loud and hectic. Um, and Kansas State has been playing extremely well, bas- extremely good basketball and playing extremely well for the past month, month and a half. So I think they get a big win in the Big 12 race and beat Iowa State. Virginia Tech, 22nd in the country, goes to Pittsburgh. I'm going to take Pittsburgh just because they're due for a win, and it being at home probably helps them a lot. North Carolina State goes to Duke. I'll take Duke in that one. The big game where college game day is is Tennessee at Kentucky. Kentucky matches up a lot better with Tennessee than they did LSU, and I think it's going to take a... Big game from Reed Travis for Kentucky to win because I think P.J. Washington and Williams, I believe is the guy's name for Tennessee, I think they are going, yeah, Grant Williams for Tennessee, I think they are going to cancel out production-wise what they do. And I think if Admiral Schofield and Reed Travis or whoever needs to step up for Kentucky or does step up, whichever one of those guys, Schofield or the guy that steps up for Kentucky has a better game, I think that's the team that's ultimately going to win. And being at Rupp, I think, helps Kentucky a ton and after this loss that they had Tuesday the chip is back on their shoulder I'm going to take Kentucky and that is all we're going to talk college football excuse me college basketball wise um yeah for the week because stuff rolls over into next week and we'll talk about that then okay moving on I told you I was going to do another um, sports documentary or movie review. So for this week, I did the Dion's double play, the ESPN 30 for 30, the newest one that they did. And I loved what they did, how well they covered it. I give that a 10. What I thought was extremely cool was at the start of the documentary, they had Dion Sanders explain the difference between Dion Sanders and primetime. Dion Sanders was just like, he played baseball. He was it. And then Primetime was this football player that was going to take care of his family and make all the money he could and everything. And the way they illustrated that was with Dion not having sunglasses on. And then when he put them on, he became Primetime. And I thought that was extremely cool the way he explained that and everything. Like, that was great. Um, Going into how they cover it and everything, everybody sort of thinks of Bo Jackson as the guy and the athlete that played multiple sports with baseball and football and Dion did it in a played both at the same time and that's what the documentary is about where he was in the NLCS and then the World Series and was still playing games for the Atlanta Falcons and contributing at a high level in both for both teams uh, pics and videos, they did a great job showing behind-the-scenes pictures and videos and stuff of Dion flying, getting out of planes, helicopters, everything, and how he got to each different city for this stuff like that. That was great. Interview-wise, they did 
a great job getting uh, coaches from the Falcons and players from the Falcons and upper management from the Braves and other teammates that he had on the Braves. So hats off to them on that. Would I recommend it? Highly recommend it. It's short. It's only an hour. It's condensed. It's very good. I liked it a lot. Um, One of the cool moments where I think... I th- we I think as a, like a society we think of Dion as this football player and everything, and then baseball wise you just don't really register him with that. But where like sort of Dion Sanders and Primetime collided together was after they won the NLCS. Um, Dion, who confronted one of the reporters in Atlanta, threw a bucket of ice water on him and everything, and sort of. Like I said, Dion and Primetime collided in that moment where you had Dion as this just show up, ready to work, give you my 100% effort, and then Primetime, the like swag or the arrogant stuff just collided where Primetime came over into baseball, which normally did not happen. So I highly recommend watching it if you have a chance or get an opportunity to. Um, the way they cover it, and Dion being open and candid about everything was extremely cool. And Dion just a fucking cool guy. Um, probably one of the most underrated, which is hard to think about because you talk about how great he is. But one of the most underrated just athletes of like a generation that we probably won't see for a long time, if ever, in the future. Alright, we are now going to talk about... WWE Elimination Chamber, so if you don't want to hear about that, just turn the podcast off right now. We start with the two-on-one handicap match for the Intercontinental Championship. Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush, who Bobby Lashley is champion, are going up against Finn Balor for the Intercontinental Championship. Bobby Lashley, in a three-way or four-way match a couple weeks ago, won the Intercontinental Championship. And I'm glad WWE is allowing uh, Leo Rush to actually wrestle in, like, Instead of just on 205 Live and being this mouthpiece and stuff. Because he's a hell of an athlete. Like, the flips and everything he does is insane. Uh, My prediction for this match, though, I think Bobby Lashley and the numbers game catch up to Finn Balor. And ultimately, Bobby Lashley wins and retains. The next match, you have Baron Corbin going up against Braun Strowman in a no-disqualification match. Braun Strowman should win, but I think... Because of the no DQ thing, somebody interferes or some bullshit happens and Baron Corbin wins. I wish they would just move on from the Braun Strowman, Baron Corbin storyline, but it doesn't look like they're going to anytime soon. The next match, you have The Miz and Shane McMahon versus The Usos for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Titles. The Miz and Shane won the tag titles last month at Royal Rumble, and I think WWE is going to go for this Miz versus Shane storyline at WrestleMania, and so you got to get the titles off of them, and I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later, and the Usos are probably one of the most consistent, if not the most consistent tag team in the company right now, so I think the Usos get it done. Another match that, this match shouldn't even be happening, but Ronda Rousey versus Ruby Riot for the Raw Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey is going to win that. She's going to main event WrestleMania. I don't even know why she's there. Um, the 12-woman tag team elimination chamber match, 
just Nia Jax and Tamina are going to win that, and I feel like they're going to beat Bailey and Sasha for it. Just the way that WWE is pushing Nia Jax right now, the way they had her involved in the Men's Royal Rumble last month, I think that's a good indication for what they think of her and how highly they think of her. I hate Tamina. She sucks in the ring, but I just think that's what ultimately is going to happen is Nia Jax and Tamina are going to win. And then the six-man elimination chamber match for the WWE Championship. You have Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles versus Jeff Hardy versus Samoa Joe versus Randy Orton versus Kofi Kingston. Mustafa Ali was in this match, but he got hurt, so they threw in Kofi Kingston, who had a remarkable performance at a gauntlet match this past Tuesday on SmackDown. And um, Kofi's been in the WWE, I think, for like 11 or 15 years. Like one of those two uh, could definitely, I think, if... You want to just shake things up and do something new. Like, he deserves it. One of the most deserving guys in the company. And it would be cool to see another member of the New Day, like, go do a singles thing rather than all three of them be, like, involved in just going after the tag titles. And the good thing about the New Day is all three are great in-ring workers. So, no matter which two were the tag specialists and what guy was the singles guy, any combination of the two of the three guys would be great um to knock things out i don't think aj styles wins i don't think jeff hardy wins and i don't think randy orton wins so you that leaves samoa joe kobe kingston and daniel bryan and i just don't see this being the place or time that they take the belt off of daniel bryan um in the past this has been a place a couple years two years ago bray wyatt became the wwe champion um the smackdown champion at elimination chamber so in the if history shows anything this is sort of a time and pay-per-view and place that they do shake things up but i just don't think story-wise line that makes a lot of sense right now and i think they're going to keep the title on brian through wrestlemania so that is that for elimination chamber all right, that is episode 50 of Cars and Sack Podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to take some time now to talk about these last 50 episodes. Um, I Thank you. Thank you all. I cannot begin to thank you enough. Um, people that come up and talk to me and encourage me to keep doing this, if, you know, if I'm at a bar and stuff, like I still think one of the coolest moments that I had recently over Christmas break was I had no idea who this guy was but came up and talked to me and was like hey I listened to your podcast and it's good and like I listened to it at work and all this stuff like I live for stuff like that I love that my podcast is reaching people that I don't know and people actually enjoy it and like it and so I thank you all for taking time even if you've only listened to a single second of one single episode I've ever done it means the world to me and for anyone that has liked or retweeted ever a tweet that I've begged them to do thank you um two of my biggest supporters my mom and my dad I literally would not be here without them and they go out of their way to support me so much um and it's my dad's birthday Saturday, so I thank him a hundred like a hundred times over and over. Um, how much interest and support he shows, I can't begin to thank him enough. So on Saturday, if you get a chance, wish him a happy birthday for me. It would mean a ton. Um, I'm going to close this episode out with one of his more favorite songs that he showed me and he listened to instead of the regular outro. So 
I had to go back and re-record this, like, from the end of the Valentine's Day bracket thing because my computer fucked up. So let's knock on wood this time and hope it goes through. Um, thank you all for listening to episode 50 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. And as we always end here, we will be seeing you.